a Podcast One production. Hey guys, you're listening to Crappy to Happy. I'm Cass Dunn. I'm a clinical and coaching psychologist, mindfulness meditation teacher, and author of the Crappy to Happy books. And in this series, we talk about all of the things that might be making you feel crappy, and I give you the tools and techniques to help you overcome them. Obviously, right now, we're all feeling pretty crappy about the coronavirus pandemic. So I'm here at home at the Sunshine Coast, hanging out with my cow, the rest of my animals, my lovely family, just riding out this coronavirus crisis. This is going to be the third and final episode in these solo episodes that I've been doing to try to help you stay as positive and as healthy and as well as you can be. And I want to just start by saying that I hope you are doing okay wherever you are. I know that we're all kind of getting a bit of cabin fever now. I personally am grateful to be living where we live, not just where I live on the Sunshine Coast, but living in a country that has done a really good job of managing the pandemic. Um, But I think it's also fair to say that we are kind of all feeling a little bit of that cabin fever and wanting things to get back to some kind of normal as soon as possible. So on that, I wanted to talk to you today about giving you some strategies to cultivate emotional resilience, which is so important, but it is especially important in the face of this kind of chronic and unrelenting stress, which is what we're really all experiencing at the moment. And we've talked before about when this whole thing started, there was this kind of wave of panic and there was fear. Nobody knew what was going to happen or how it was going to look or how it was going to affect us. And I think that the longer that we stay in this scenario, and even as the immediate threat, you know, particularly of the the massive collapse of the healthcare system and all of those things that we were fearful of, even as those risks kind of seem to dissipate, we are still in this really unusual situation where we are stuck at home. We don't have access to our normal outlets and our social activities. We've all got our kids at home. If you've got kids, you know, trying to manage them and keep them entertained and keep them educated and do our jobs as well. And it's like a pressure cooker. So it is this sort of chronic stress that we're all experiencing. And what people have been saying to me is, and what they've been asking for my help with is, how to make sense of this just waves of emotions. They'll say like, one day I feel fine and the next day I'm like in floods of tears. One day I'm just like like a mad person cleaning the house and getting on top of things and the next day I'm just like lying on the couch and I can't get up and I can't move. And there is this thing, this isolation fatigue, ISO exhaustion a lot of people are talking about. And so I wanted to talk to you about that today and give you some insight and some understanding about what we're all experiencing on a physiological level um, and some real strategies that hopefully will give you some practical tools to help you to manage your response, whatever that might be. So whether you're up in panic stations or whether you are just down in depression, um, what you can actually do to move through those uh, stages and maintain your health and your well-being and continue to operate at your best. So I think the first thing that I want to talk about, and this is stuff that will not be unfamiliar to you, uh, is just about how our stress response works. And I want to say too, that the stuff that we're talking about today, this kind of chronic unrelenting stress, while it is very specific to the situation we are in with the coronavirus, this is not unique to the coronavirus pandemic. We 
often before we landed here, even in our normal everyday busy lives, many of us experienced chronic unrelenting stress just because of the pace of our lives, work deadlines, um, our addiction to our devices, all of that sort of stuff. So I am hopeful that what I share with you today will be useful not just for now, but will help you to uh, build a bit of a toolkit, I guess, that can also help you even as we emerge on the other side of this and you go back to some kind of new normal. So let's talk about stress. We know that when we are faced with a stress or a threat or a perceived Uh, threat, whether it's real or whether it's imagined, then our body and our brain mobilizes our fight or flight response. This is, uh, it's very normal. It's very human. There is a part of our brain that is, its only job is to scan and look for possible danger. Again, whether it's real or whether it's not, our brain and body reacts in exactly the same way. And when that fight or flight response is activated, we experience things like uh, elevated heart rate, um, dry mouth, the blood is shunted away from our vital organs to protect them and into our arms and legs to ready us to to act and to uh, fight off this danger or to run. And of course, the other Uh, It's not just fight or flight, it is the fight, flight, freeze response and freeze describes that kind of uh, reactive immobility where we, we wait to, to decide what our next move is going to be. In the animal kingdom, actually, the freeze response is when they drop and they play dead. Um, and in humans, that can be uh, like a dramatic drop in blood pressure. It can be fainting. Um, it can be responses like that where we it is almost like a play dead kind of response. So that's all very normal. Um, the thing about the fight, flight, freeze response is that it is supposed to be short and sharp. We are supposed to, if we perceive a threat or a danger, there is something that's going to hurt us, then it is activated. Uh, we do what we need to do to get out of that situation. We either fight off, defend ourselves against that threat. We either run in the other direction, um, but we get ourselves out of danger and then everything returns back to baseline. And so we have this, our body is designed to return to homeostasis, which is to always bring us back into balance. And if you imagine this on a, a kind of a curve, we have a baseline, uh, which is when we're resting, we're calm, everything's okay, we, f- we feel good. It's our parasympathetic nervous system is um, in operation and that's our rest and digest response. Uh, and then in the face of our general daily ups and downs, stresses, deadlines, uh, we our fight or flight response is activated and then it comes back down. So we're constantly moving through these waves, even if um, if we're not in immediate danger, there's no threat to our life, just the daily uh, demands of life and the daily challenges that we deal with will have us moving through these waves up and down, up and down, back to baseline. We know just by looking at the animal kingdom how the fight or flight response is supposed to work. If you've ever watched, I think we've talked about this before, a David Attenborough documentary, like the gazelle sees the lion, you know, bolts, and then as soon as they're out of danger, they're just back eating grass again. Could Like, not a care in the world. They're not overthinking about where was the lion, where's the next lion going to be, what happened, did I cause that, was this my fault, which is what our human brain does, which is why we tend to be so much more uh, generally stressed out and overthinking and anxious than 
the animal kingdom generally because we have this mind which continues to create um, things to be afraid of or to be stressed out by. Anyway, back to our our day-to-day functioning. So if you imagine that curve up and down, up and down, we call that when you are operating within that uh, what we call the window of tolerance. The window of tolerance is, uh, if you imagine your baseline is when you are at rest, your upper limit of what you can t- cope with in terms of stress. Uh, if you imagine that like like an upper limit, so there's a bottom line and a, and a top line, then the space in between there is what we call your window of tolerance. And as long as you're staying inside that window, you are operating at your best. You are able to receive information, to process information. You're not overly um, panicked or anxious. You can think rationally, make good decisions, and your body is stays in that sort of its natural state of just responding and relaxing. It's responding and it's relaxing. A lot of people, even in a normal situation, even pre-coronavirus, get to a stage in their life where they're operating very close to the upper limit of that window of tolerance. So when you are experiencing chronic stress, again, whether it's real or whether it's imagined, whether it's just to do with your busy job and your deadlines and your kids, or you're going through tough times, you're going through divorce or financial problems or all of the things that we deal with in life, if you are not getting a break from that stress, if you don't have strategies to come back down to that baseline, then of course we're very adaptive too. And so we, we, we eventually, we get used to that level of stress and that sort of becomes our new normal. And if you, and I've seen this in my clients in my clinical psychology practice many, many times where they are, have really hit their limit and it's because there's just been this gradual piling of stressful scenarios. First, they're having issues with their relationship or then they've lost their job or then they're having a problem with their boss and they keep on layering these extra layers of stress without ever having effective strategies to come back down and to relax and to discharge those emotions. And and so what people find is when they're operating very close to the upper limit of that window of tolerance is it can take nothing at all to set you off, um, to burst into tears, to be going into rage and anger or panic or unable to sleep, uh, all of these are effects of what we call hyperarousal. So we have our normal physiological arousal, which is what we've talked about. And then if you if you bust through that upper limit, you get into this hyperaroused state. And that is what a lot of people have been sharing with me that they've been experiencing because of what we're dealing with at the moment, because of this chronic unrelenting stress and pressure that we're all dealing with, this constant uncertainty, this lack of predictability, which as we've discussed, our human brains are designed to like certainty. We like predictability. So if we don't have that, there is this low level, this humming of of stress and anxiety and uncertainty that's, that's ticking along all of the time. And so a lot of us are, at, are very close to the upper limit. So some of the symptoms of that hyper arousal are things like uh, being flooded with emotions, feeling really dysregulated, like you have no control over your emotional response. It's um, a sense of hypervigilance, like you're constantly on alert, feeling like you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. It can manifest as physical pain, tension headaches, uh, tight jaw, back pain, 
a lot of physical complaints are attached to this overload of chronic stress on your body. It's sleeplessness, digestive uh, complaints, panic, anxiety, anger, irritability, just like losing it. So if you're experiencing anything like that, it is a fair sign that you might have tipped over, tipped busted through your upper limit and you're in this hyper aroused state. Now, the other thing I want to say about that is that our, our body can't actually tolerate that for any length of time. So what often will happen is it, as a part of this homeostasis, as part of this trying to get us back down into normal, what it will often do is then crash. So people will will find that they're in this hyper aroused state for a while and then they crash into this hypo state. And hypo is low, hyper is high, if you weren't aware of that. So hypo arousal is like when you're stuck in the off position. So if you're stuck on on, agitated, keyed up, can't come down in the hyper aroused state, then the opposite of that is depression, feeling lethargic, feeling really flat, exhausted, disoriented, having this mental fog, I can't think of what I was supposed to do, Uh, really low energy, low blood pressure, disconnected, like feeling quite emotionally disconnected, just, just flat, exhausted, fatigued. So sometimes people will when we talk about the normal stress response and moving up and down in this normal range, in this optimal window, in our window of tolerance, there are some people who are just crashing. They're up and then they're crashing back down and then they're not really effectively coming back to this optimal window. Or maybe they're spending some time in that optimal window, but then they're finding that the pressure's building and they're up and they're panicked and then they're down. And this is what I'm hearing people say, they're all over the place. The other thing I want to say about this window of tolerance is everybody's window is a different width. So it isn't fair or reasonable to compare your own experience with anybody else's, even if people are in the same situation. Things like uh, your past experience, whether you've had experienced trauma, we talked about attachment issues in the last episode. If you've had earlier experiences or past experience or even genetic uh, predispositions that make you more sensitive to stress and to threat, your window of tolerance will be narrower, which means it just takes less to tip you over the edge. And the important thing about this is that we all have some understanding of where our limits are. This just reminds me of something that I saw the other day where a lot of us have been saying we're all in the same boat, like we're all in this together. And I saw something the other day, which was, well, we're not actually all in the same boat. We're all in the same storm. And, but each of us is kind of in a different boat. And that boat, I thought that was so perfect because the different boat that you're in, you might, it might relate to the personal circumstances that you're in, whether you have still have a job, whether you have family around, whether you've lost your job, whether you're living alone, um, all of those external factors that will put us in a different boat in terms of how we weather this storm. But there's also this internal world as well. And so just our capacity to tolerate stress um, and our ability to navigate some of those, some of those waves. So the window of tolerance can be widened. And this is what I really want to talk 
to you about today, the strategies that you can put into place that will either help you when you're up or when you're down to come back to a more normal, optimal level, but also the strategies that you can put into place if you are in your window to stay there so that you're not um, vulnerable to tipping over the edge. Um, and also the, the things that will help you over a over time to widen your window because obviously that's what we're kind of all aiming for in the long term is to have a wider window of tolerance so that we can actually more effectively manage all of the normal stresses and and uh, difficulties and challenges that we face anyway even on the other side of the coronavirus pandemic. So I thought that the most beneficial thing I could offer you today was some really practical strategies to help you to bring yourself back into that window or to to stay in that window. And bearing in mind, this is going to change day to day. So the important thing is for you to be really plugged in and really tuned in to where you're at. It may be on a day-to-day basis. It could be an hour-by-hour basis sometimes. But when you are using things like mindfulness to just check in with yourself, check in with where's where's my head at. So I thought that the most beneficial thing I could offer you today was some really practical strategies to help you to bring yourself back into that window or to to stay in that window. And bearing in mind, this is going to change day to day. So the important thing is for you to be really plugged in and really tuned in to where you're at. It may be on a day-to-day basis. It could be an hour-by-hour basis sometimes. But when you are using things like mindfulness to just check in with yourself, check in with where's, where's my head at? What am I feeling? How am I traveling emotionally today? Um, then you're in a position with that self-understanding, with that self-awareness to actually then use strategies to support you and to keep you in that optimal kind of state where you're functioning at your best. And again, this is just not for you. This is for everybody around you. If you've got kids at home, like there are probably some strategies here that you can use with them as well. So let's just start with if you are if you know that you're within your window, if you're traveling along, okay, this is where your emotions are fairly well under control. You're kind of cool, calm, collected. You have the capacity to to self-soothe. You're not feeling out of control, panicked. Uh, you're looking after your, your, your sleep's okay. You know, your appetite's fairly normal. This is all normal kind of, kind of stuff. So the things that are going to keep you in that window are well, mindfulness, of course, um, that ability to kind of stay in the present moment, to keep your attention in the here and now. Like I said, just checking in with yourself, mindful breathing, mindfulness meditation. This is all part of, if this is part of your daily routine, that's fantastic. Grounding techniques are really useful. So grounding is like it's a it's a way of really physically dropping yourself back into the present. A really useful grounding technique, one that's quite common is um naming five things I can see, four things I can touch, three things I can hear, two things I can smell, one thing I can taste. The five, four, three, two, one is a really useful little quick tool you can use um, just to keep you back here in the present. Um, even even the five things I can see is a useful one. Even five things I can touch, even if you don't go through the whole list, uh, any way that you can engage your senses to bring you back here into the physical 
the present moment is going to be useful because we, as we know, it is your mind and where your mind wants to take you that is most likely to create this stress response. It's all of the fast forwarding to the worst case scenario, to the focusing on what's going wrong. It's going to heighten that arousal and potentially tip you up over the edge. So anything that you can do to keep you back here in the present is going to be really useful. Slow, deep breathing, uh, managing, checking in with your thoughts, like I just said, like making sure that you're, you're coming back to what you can control, coming back to uh, what's positive today, what I can be grateful for, what's going well. Uh, all of these um, cognitive techniques, really, these, these thinking processes are going to uh, neutralize or counter your brain's inbuilt negativity bias. We know that we all have that negativity bias in our mind. So anything that we can do to shift our thinking back to what's going well, what can we appreciate? Uh, Even one that I really love is um, what good might come from this. Um, It helps to give you that broaden your perspective about even when things feel really crappy, like what good might come from this? Because typically, if we're able to shift our awareness, there is usually always something good and worthwhile that comes from even the most difficult and challenging experiences of life. So the more that we can connect with those um, now and in the future, then the better off uh, we're going to be. Uh, making sure that you're staying in touch with with friends and family, making sure that you're keeping some sort of routine without being too rigid about it, keeping up those daily healthy habits, getting to bed at a reasonable time, um, staying away from stuff that uh, elevates anxiety, caffeine and alcohol are the two worst, even sugar potentially, but you know, keeping to a healthy diet, making time each day for something that makes you feel good and something that gives you a sense of achievement. These are pretty basic strategies that we use in treating depression, actually, is having people incorporate into their day one thing that you do purely for pleasure, even if it's just 10 minutes, and one thing that you do to give you a sense of mastery or achievement, even if it is just tidying out one drawer in your house, or even if it is just um, getting through one meeting or doing you know, one um, activity with your with your kids or whatever it is, but something that gives you pleasure, something that gives you a sense of mastery that stimulates the release of all of your happy hormones um, and will keep you in a good, healthy place. Now, if you are outside of that window and you've gone up into hyper arousal, you're anxious, angry, panicked, flooded, uh, really finding it hard to come down from that, again, deep diaphragmatic breathing is a really great way to activate your parasympathetic nervous system and bring you back down. And I'm going to say that when you are hyper aroused, the importance needs to be on the extended out breath. It's the long exhale that helps to bring you back into that parasympathetic, activate, sorry, that parasympathetic nervous system. So something like breathing in for four, breathing out for seven, and doing that a few times will help to calm down all of that stress physiology. You might uh, take a deep breath in and then exhale until your lungs are completely empty and then just allow your lungs to naturally refill. So rather than sucking in the breath, actually just allowing your, your lungs to naturally fill, but then really pushing all of the air out of your lungs. So these are ways that you can extend the out breath and that's proven to be effective in activating the parasympathetic nervous system, which is what you need to calm down. 
So how about we just do this together right now? I'm going to take you through one of these breathing exercises. Um, So you can do it with me. I'm going to count in for four and out for seven. The important thing is that I would like you to count along with me, either out loud or in your own head. So let's go together, breathing in, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, five, six, seven, in, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, five, six, seven. If you can continue to do that, whenever you find yourself feeling stressed, overwhelmed, anxious, it will really help you to come back in to the present moment to calm everything down. And the other thing it does is when you are counting out loud or in your head, it brings your head back into the present moment as well. So your mind can't be racing off and uh, panicking about things that are going wrong. It can't be getting angry about your kids having too much screen time or whatever it might be if it's actually focused on counting. So that is one of the, that's one of the reasons why counting to 10 is one of the, uh, the things they tell people to do when they're in anger management, when people get really ragey. The counting to 10 Actually, it brings online a linear, logical part of your brain instead of that heightened emotional response. And it um, it gives you something else to focus on. It gives you something to focus on that is not your uh, angry or anxious thoughts. So I really recommend that you take time to do that. And even if you're in a good state, do it a few times a day just as, as a part of your normal routine. It's really useful to just continually check in and bring your mind and body back to a state of calm. That's keeping you inside that window of tolerance. Other things that are really useful are, are things like jumping on a, a, um, a mini tramp or jumping on a trampoline. Um, anything that is rhythmic. So this has been um, demonstrated in studies to do with trauma and um, treatment for trauma and the neurobiology of trauma. In other words, how trauma affects your brain. Anything that is kind of rhythmic is very soothing. So things like bouncing, uh, throwing a ball backwards and forwards or, or throwing a ball against a wall. Uh, Bessel van der Kolk is one of the world's leading trauma therapists and he says never leave home without a beach ball. If you're a person who is prone to panic and, and uh, anxiety and all of those things. Uh, so being able to throw a beach ball backwards and forwards, it doesn't have to be a beach ball, of course. Um, hip hop. This is why hip hop is often very uh, popular and very effective um, with People who have experienced um, trauma, traumatic upbringings or other experiences, it's the rhythmic nature of it. Things like drumming, African drumming. Again, you might not have drums, but you can just drum along on your coffee table. Drinking through a straw is another one. And of course, I'm going to say make sure that you've got one of those uh, metal straws so that we're not damaging the environment. Uh, but drinking through a straw helps to regulate your breathing as well. Weighted blankets. I I don't have any evidence of that, but I know a lot of people really uh, like weighted blankets. I think that you can order them online. But even if you don't have a weighted blanket, just like putting something heavy on you, it's like... um With kids having tantrums, I don't know if you've ever heard this, like wrapping them in a really, really, really tight bear hug, it's that sensory pressure that is very soothing. So if you've got somebody in your house that can wrap you in a bear hug, that could be very helpful as well. But otherwise, really wrapping yourself up tightly into a cocoon, it uh, it helps us to feel safe. It helps us to feel safe and comforted. Anything that you can do to move that energy through your body, uh, mindfulness, 
activities such as yoga or um, those body-based sort of mindfulness activities are good, but it might just be walking, um, doing some boxing, just doing some exercise, throwing on a, gosh, there's no shortage of free online workouts at the moment and free online yoga classes. You only have to log into your social media and there's plenty on offer. Um, so anything that just gets that energy and that adrenaline moving through your body and discharged um, will help to calm you back down. And just to reiterate with that movement, anything that's rhythmic in nature is going to naturally be soothing. So things that use both your arms and legs bilaterally, so walking, running, swimming, things like that, that are uh, they have a kind of an integrative effect on your brain. When your brain is feeling kind of dysregulated and everything is feeling disintegrated, then it can help to bring your, your mind and your body back into a sort of a sense of alignment and integration. So if you are on the opposite end of the spectrum and you are experiencing that real lethargy, uh, depression, despondence, exhaustion, you can't get yourself off the couch, then there are also things that you can do that will activate some of that uh, physiological arousal to get you back up into a normal um, state of functioning, which is super important. Because if you feel flat and depressed and you low energy and low motivation and low mood and you give in to that and you continue to just lay flat on the couch and do nothing and withdraw from people and disengage from your normal responsibilities and routines, then we know that that creates a really negative downward spiral uh, and you will just spiral down and down further and deeper into that depressive state unless you really make an effort, a conscious effort to do something, even if you don't feel like it, that's the key, uh, to, to move your energy and to lift your mood up out of that. So some of the things that you can do to kind of activate your senses again, things like um, breathing in essential oil, and you might even uh, like put some essential oils into, rub it into the palm of your hand and then cover your um, nose and mouth. And I'm not supposed to be touching our face at the moment, but make an exception. Sanitize your hands first and then breathe in some essential oil. Put your palms up near your face um, or even just sniffing it sniffing essential oils in a bottle. I often do that myself. I have a little bottle of, a couple of little bottles of essential oil that sit on my desk and throughout the day periodically, I will just pick one up and just breathe it in. It's quite soothing and refreshing. Again, movement, anything that sort of stimulates and activates the senses um, and anything that's kind of sensory. So things like um, finger painting or baking or creating, kneading bread dough, stuff like that, stuff that sort of activates your sensory uh, experience. Things like dancing, music, anything that lifts your energy, lifts your mood. The trampoline, the mini tramp are also great. The, the, the therapy ball, like some of these strategies are actually useful at either end of the spectrum um, just to, to help to bring you back online and bring you back into that kind of optimal functioning state. Uh, I also didn't mention before with that rhythmic um, movement, swinging on a swing. I know a lot of playgrounds were closed, but if you can find one that's open, swinging on a swing it sort of mimics like being rocked as a baby, if you can imagine that that natural tendency we have to kind of be rocked and swayed and how soothing that is. Um, anything that mimics that, so rocking on a rocking chair, I can't think of it, maybe a hammock, anything like that that you can think of that gives you that sort of, or even just swaying, even just swaying to music, it has a very soothing effect. 
So I hope that some of those tips are helpful to you. I hope that you can um, find something in there. And again, it, it really is about you playing around and working out what works best for you. Not every technique will necessarily uh, help you, but it's about you getting to know yourself, you getting to know where your limits are, and then knowing what's going to be really effective in helping you to, to manage that. And again, hopefully as a result of this, you will build yourself a toolkit that you can take with you going forward, even when we come out of um, the other side of this current situation. And I wanted to just also mention that often in the long run, these really significant difficulties, traumatic events are often the catalyst for people to become more appreciative, to develop strength and confidence and a sense of their own resourcefulness and their own resilience and often uh, even just a, a, a new sense of meaning and purpose. And I know that I've been seeing a lot of people as much as we want things to go back to normal, there's a lot of people asking, well, what kind of normal do we really want to go back to? Do we really want to go back to living life how we did before? Not just at an individual level, but at the community level and even a global level. Like what changes might we want to come from this? Um, and so I think there is a real opportunity if we can tap into it to uh, just connect with our sense of gratitude, our appreciation, uh, our sense of community. And that's been one thing that's been really evident through this whole thing about the fact that we are all connected uh, locally, globally. Again, we're all in the same storm. And so despite the social distancing, we are feeling more empathy towards each other. We're feeling more altruistic and we, I think we're all developing a sense of what really matters most. So if we come out of the other side of this with a deeper sense of meaning and purpose, with a deeper connection to our own values, a greater sense of uh, appreciation and, and gratitude for what we do have, then maybe that is the good that will come from this. So this has been the third and final episode in my solo series, supporting you through coronavirus. Just a couple of things before I go today. I want to remind you that as much as I am here to help you as best as I can, this podcast and others like it are no substitute for professional mental health care. If you are really struggling, please remember that you have access to Medicare rebates on psychology or psychiatry appointments, GP appointments um, from home via the telehealth option. So you can phone your GP, you can have a video appointment or consult, you can get a referral to a mental health professional and you can access appointments from home. As long as you have phone, Skype, Zoom or some access to technology that connects you to a professional, all of the usual Medicare rebates apply for those appointments. And if you do want more personal attention from me, I have just opened my online membership called Beyond. It's Beyond Happy, Beyond Limits, Beyond Struggle. Uh, you can find out more about that at castdunn.com forward slash beyond. I'm having a great time supporting my founding members. There's weekly content, live calls, lots of fun, lots of information and lots of support and communication all from our own homes. 
You can join for just $39 a month and find out more at castun.com forward slash beyond or email me hello at castun.com. I'm looking forward to bringing you some more guests going into the future, um, getting back to the usual format of Crappy to Happy that you have come to know and love. Uh, Until then, stay safe, look after each other, and I'll see you on the other side. Crappy to Happy is a Podcast One Australia production, produced by Dave Zwolenski and with audio by Darcy Thompson. For more great podcasts, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the app. Listener.